groups together and to gather together uh, with some of the local churches in France and Italy. Uh, it was quite remarkable to see the contrast. Uh, there's a contrast between some of these very great, these grand, beautiful cathedrals that, that we visited in, in Europe. Not a lot of them, but we stopped at a few. And, and then on Sunday mornings, we would go down to the Fiat dealership, and we'd go up to the second floor office up above. And, and in Lombardy, we had this opportunity to worship with biblical Christians, just in an, an office building. And, and there was this contrast between these empty buildings and, and these, this small office just filled with the life of the church, with people who were, who were biblical Christians worshiping our God. Some of the buildings we visited were literally filled with, with dead bones. I mean, there was a couple I went to. They had a big glass coffin sitting up on right, right here in front of the, the cross. It was the center of worship where people came and they prayed to somebody who had been dead for, for 800 years. And there's a skeleton right there on the stage every single Sunday. Can you imagine? You know, some of the buildings were literally filled with dead bones and, and no people there worshiping. And... Contrasted with that, that dark and empty room, um, we'd go and we'd worship with other believers where God was accomplishing something beautiful, a work that was truly building the church of God, a, a church filled with light. Not, not physical windows and stained glass, but, but uh, a church being the church. Small pockets of believers who were scattered around Europe who are studying the Bible together who are worshiping Jesus together, who are going out into their communities as the hands and the feet of Jesus and preaching the good news to a world around them that has no idea who Jesus is. No idea. And so for three Sundays, we worshiped together with a growing church that, um, that our French missionaries, the Beckers, work with. Uh, we were just north of the city of Bordeaux, and that Nouvelle-Aquitaine region that Bordeaux sits in, it contains about six million people. Six million people in that entire province. Uh, but the population that considers themselves evangel evangelical is only 1.23%. Not, not evangelical free. I'm not talking about the denomination. and I'm not talking about politics because there's a lot of people that associate evangelicalism with politics nowadays. I'm talking about those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who believe that this book is the Word of God and that Jesus is the way, the, the truth, and the life. That He's the only way. And it is by... His grace through faith that we are saved. That's what I mean by the word evangelical. Only 1.23% of the people there believe that about Jesus and His words. So that means that 5,900,000 people in that one region alone do not believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and who do not believe that Jesus made payment for their sins on the cross. And as I, as I walked about each day, it was just astounding to me that the sheer numbers who are without Christ. Uh, it's astounding here where we're at, but I mean, you walk down the street and you see three or four evangelical churches in one town. Um, it, it was probably one evangelical church in this entire area of Bordeaux. And so it's, our, our time is short. And it's one thing that just really stood out to, I think, Angie and I, is just how short our time is. And it is vital that, that we participate with our God in His heart for the world. And, and so that's... This past several weeks, well, I've asked our pastoral team to be sharing from the Word of God with a focus on God's heart for the world. We pe people, we, we have a tendency to, to get ingrown. We, uh, we uh, put our blinders on. 
We like staying comfortable where we're at. And, and so we tend to tune out much of what God is doing around the world. Sometimes we tune out just what's across the street. And we focus on what's in our church building, our, our Jerusalem, our, home, our homeland. But we start neg- neglecting being a part where, of the places that He's commanded us to. And we start neglecting the part where He says, go out into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so my hope was for us to, as a congregation to see a bit more clearly the passion that our God has for the world and His love for the world. As we enter the Christmas season and we celebrate the first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like to piggyback on that theme over this next few weeks and examine five passages of Scripture which reveal God's purpose, not only in His heart for the world, but His purpose in sending the Son to go to the world. John 3.16 so wonderfully declares that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Because of God's heart for the world, God sent His Son for the world. And I've selected a few passages that we're going to study together this month that describe what our God has done for us by sending His only Son. With that, I'm going to ask Merv if he would come up for this morning's Scripture reading. And if he would read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3, through if you would please stand with me out of respect for the written Word of God. And if you would read with us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-3. through Uh, The heading is The Superiority of the Person of Christ. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Please be seated. There's a a question that I think we've all heard or we've asked in our own hearts in one form or another. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us? Wouldn't it be good if God would tell me what to do? Wouldn't it be grand if God would just clearly show His will for my life? Uh, An email, uh, maybe a letter. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with snail mail as well, but just something clearly from God where He says, here, this is my will for you. I want you to do this. I want you to be here. We believe that He is greater than all, We believe that He has a perfect plan. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just communicate with me? Have you ever heard that question? Have you ever asked that question or thought some of those things? You know, what do I do here? What's God's will for my life? Please, Lord, show me. Speak. And I think that, that, that it's this desire. It's this desire to hear God speak that's led us from a, a surge in our day among false teachers and false prophets in this world that, that claim, they make claims for themselves about visions and dreams and, and a, a word from the Lord. And, and people want to hear from God. And so many, so many, excuse me, and so there are many who go out claiming that they've actually received new revelation from God. If God said it, that, in, in, that, that those words, in fact, bear the same authority as the words that are in this book that we considered inspired. 
In fact, it's become so mainstream that that kind of language is entered everyday language in the church and on radio. It's not unusual for you to hear Christians going around saying, God told me to tell you something today. Because somehow that adds more authority to what I, I, I feel led to lead you. I, and I understand what people are saying when they say that. They're saying, I, I, I just feel that, that I need to share this with you or that this is something that, that's important for your life. But if I add the words that God told me, all of a sudden there's more authority behind what I say. And I have to ask, did God really tell you this? Because if He did, then the next words that come from your mouth bear divine authority and I have no choice but to absolutely obey anything that you say next. But now we turn to the book of Hebrews. And as we turn to Hebrews, it begins with an astonishing declaration. The book of Hebrews is a book about showing how Jesus is greater. He is, he's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the law. And one section at a time, the author of Hebrews walks these people showing them how Jesus is superior to all things. And so he's worthy of our worship. But the book begins with an astonishing declaration that we're going to look at today. And, and it's the declaration that God spoke the god of the universe who created everything that is so far beyond us that we could not have any fathom of a possibility of understanding him of comprehending him of knowing his character of knowing his works we have no way of understanding these things unless he took the first step and he revealed himself to us we have no way of understanding how great this God is and all of the mighty works that He's done unless He stepped into our lives and He actually spoke. And Hebrews declares to us that God spoke. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to understand His will. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. And so the God who has a heart for the world stepped into our world and He spoke. But how has He spoken? How has this God spoken and revealed Himself? Well, Hebrews addresses that. If you want to hear His voice, it's vital that you pay attention to how God says that He did speak. And in verse 1, the author of Hebrews explains to us how the God who is out there, the God who created all things, how He spoke to the world. And Hebrews explains how the God who loves the world has communicated His ideas and His will for us to understand. And it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, now it's easy to miss this. Uh, I usually, when I read through this passage, I kind of skip over verse 1 because I want to get to the good stuff, right? But, but don't miss the incredible thing, that incredible, astonishing statement that we find in this verse. It's easy to read this and see that all, all it's saying is, oh yeah, back then, this is all they had. That, that's what we typically think when we read verse 1. But don't miss the grand declaration. God spoke. God stepped into our world and He communicated with men. Those who came before during the Old Testament, our fathers as they're addressed here in this passage, God spoke to them through prophets. Men who were spokesmen. They, were, they communicated God's message. They're messengers that brought God's Word to our fathers, to those who came before us. But, but also note that not only did God speak, but, but it also notes that this wasn't just a one-time miraculous email that Abraham got. It wasn't just this one time and, and then God stepped back and He said, hey, I gave you Melchizedek. I sure hope you were listening because that's all you're going to get. Wouldn't that have been difficult to base all of our theology on that short passage of Scripture that we have? Who's Melchizedek, right? How many of you know who Melchizedek is? 
You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. Not only did God speak, but he, because of his heart for the world, because he wants to have a relationship with his creation and to give us light and to give us life, he spoke at many times and in many ways. He sent lawgivers and leaders like Moses. He sent kings and poets like David. He sent prophets like Samuel. And, and he sent people who cried out a message of repentance like Jeremiah and poor shepherds like Amos. And now verse 2 has an even more glorious decoration than verse 1. But please don't skip verse 1 and miss the astonishing truth that is explained here. God spoke. And then later, those visions and the dreams and the laws and the songs and the stories and poems, dirges and love songs, they are not only spoken out loud, but but God's Word was written down so that thousands of years later, thousands of years later, you and I would have this book in our hands and we would still hear the voice of God as we read these words written on these pages of Scripture. There were many mysteries. Don't get me wrong. There were many mysteries that weren't explained in the Old Testament. Much that would come in the Old Testament that would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. But God still explains His Word through these ancient books. And because of His heart for the world, He saw to it that His Word was written down and His Spirit superintended over that process. And He still communicates His ideas and He communicates His character. And He wants you to know Him. And so don't ever dismiss the power of the written Word. Don't ever dismiss the power of the words that we find in, even in the Old Testament. There are far too many people in churches today who long to hear a message from God, who long to know God's will for their life, but they never crack open their Bibles and certainly they never turn to the, the Old Testament. And I love how John Piper expressed this incredible gift that God has given to us in the writings of the Old Testament. He said this, he said, this is a great comfort and encouragement. Do, do you know why? Because we all know that some of those portions and ways are hard to understand. If God has only spoken in one portion or one way and we couldn't get it, we would be very frustrated and at a great disadvantage. But God has not done it that way. He's spoken in many places and times and portions and in many ways. And so if you have difficulty in grasping the word in Leviticus, you may hear him clearly in Proverbs. If you don't see the point clearly in Zechariah, you may still be deeply moved by the message of Jonah. If you don't catch on yet to the strange visions in Ezekiel, you may be sustained by the sufferings of Job. The point is this, he said, God means to provide a lot of possibilities in the Old Testament where you can hear him. He has spoken and He is not silent. He is not withdrawn and incommunicative. There are many places and many ways that He has spoken by the prophets. And Pastor Piper concluded and said, so I have been rebuked in my complaining about the silence of God. He said, I am like a person complaining in the land of 10,000 lakes. He lived in Minneapolis. He, says, he said, I have been rebuked like a person living in the land of 10,000 lakes that are that there are no lakes in the Minnesota because I don't see one of them from my 11th Avenue house. And so do you want to hear the message of God? Do you want to know His will for your life? Then rejoice because 
you live during a time of history when you have access to God's written Word and to more copies of God's written Word than at any other time in all of human history. All of you have a phone on you. You can look about 500 different versions up right on your phone just pulling up the internet right here in this room. No one has ever had that throughout all of human history. And you live in a nation where you have more freedom and time to pursue God's written Word than probably any other nation of the world today. And so rejoice. Because long ago, God spoke. Now as glorious as verse 1 is, and don't miss that it's glorious, as glorious as verse 1 is, we would be missing out if we stopped there. God did speak in the past through the prophets, but, but there's more. And that's the whole point of Hebrews. There is much more. Verse 2 begins and says, but in these last days, He spoke to us by His Son. And understand that the word, the phrase, the last days, you'll see that a lot in the New Testament. In the last days. In the last days. In the last days, God's going to do this. In the last days, you'll see this. When you see that phrase, last days, what do we usually think of? What's that? The last days. The last days. <laughs> not, not just the last days, but the last of the last days. That, oh, revelation, the tribulation, there's this millennial kingdom coming up. When I hear the word last days, I think something far beyond my time. But understand this, that when the New Testament talks about the last days, do you know that Jesus lived in the last days? The apostles and, and, and the early church, that that was the beginning of the last days. And so when you see that phrase, the last days, understand that we are in that time. This entire era of the church is what the New Testament considers the last days. And I know there's prophecies to come and a tribulation and a millennial reign of Christ. But when he talks about these last days and he says in these last days, he's talking about the ministry of Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And we today are still in these last days. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And you see, because of God's great heart for the world, He continued to communicate His message. But this time, God Himself stepped into our world. He took on human flesh and He became one of us. One of the great truths that we celebrate when we enjoy Christmas is that the Word became flesh. One of the great purposes for God giving His Son for the world is described in John chapter 1, verse 14, which tells us that the Word, that is Jesus, who is uh, the perfect communication of, of who God is, the perfect communication of the mind of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He, he pitched His tent among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the prophets were, were an amazing gift to humanity because in them, God revealed His thoughts to man. But now God has done something even more glorious than the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament. Now He has given to us the ultimate form of divine revelation. Jesus Himself came into our world and He revealed the Father. Look at the ways that the Son is supreme. Look at all the ways that Jesus is great is supreme, greater than the prophets themselves. It describes and says, first of all, that Jesus is the heir of all things. You see, the prophets were great, but they were the ones who prepared the way for Christ. They were the ones who predicted the things that He would do. 
They predicted Christ's coming. They predicted His work. They predicted His death and His resurrection and even His second coming. But Jesus was the fulfillment of all that the prophets had spoken. The prophets were spokesmen for God, but Jesus is God Himself. The second person of the Trinity. The prophets told us what God has promised, but Jesus is the one who fulfilled those promises and inherited the kingdom of God, which He shares with us. Not only is Jesus the heir of all things, but He is also the one through whom God created the world. The prophets were part of God's creation and they shared with the, the, with the words of our Creator. But, but now the Creator has come down and the Creator Himself has camped with us. He's pitched His tent among us and He's revealed the Father. When I was a kid, I used to love going to, to camp. And there was Camp Idrahaji, and there was uh, Grace Camp, and um, boy, Twin Peaks, there we go. I couldn't remember the name of the other camp. Um, great camps that we loved going to, and we'd, we'd have some great bonfires, and we'd tell stories, and our camp counselors would, would take us out into the dark, and we'd go look at the stars. And you're up there in the mountains, and the camp counselor would say, that's that constellation, and this is that constellation, and this is what the Bible says about the stars, explaining what God's done, explaining what God is going to do. But what if... What if the creator of all of those stars came to camp and he pitched his tent next to ours and after the campfire, he t- the creator took us out on that walk and said, let me show you what I made. Which would you rather do? Go out with the camp counselor and have him show you the Big Dipper or have Jesus take you out there and say, let me show you some stuff that you've never even imagined before. How much more glorious to be shown by the one who made those diamonds in the sky. And that is essentially what we have in Jesus. He tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent among us. He walked among us. He showed us the Father. In John chapter 14, He was talking about about leaving and, and the disciples were confused about that. And He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it's enough for us. You know, We've been walking with You all these years. Just show us, show us who He is finally. We want to see Him. We want to know Him. And Jesus said, Philip, have I, not, have I been with you so long and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, Philip, I, everything I am reveals who the Father is. And so if you know Me, then you know the Father. You know God. You see, Jesus is the Creator. And He is the perfect communication of all that the Father desires to speak to us. If you want to know who God is, know Jesus. It also describes Him as the radiance of the glory of God. In verse 3, the author of Hebrews tells us that not only is Jesus the heir, not only is He the Creator, but Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Do you, know what, do you want to know what God is like? In the Old Testament, the prophets pointed the way. They described Him as God shared with them. They shared God's revealed Word. And what they shared was light. But it was like looking at the moon and trying to understand the glory of the sun. It's like looking at the moon going, what is the sun like? And all you have is this reflection of light bouncing off of this cold, dark rock in the sky. The moon is bright and it's beautiful. And it sheds light in the darkness, but it's still just a pale reflection of the sun. 
And Hebrews tells us that Jesus himself is the radiance of the glory of God. Everything that is God that we would say, wow! Everything that is wow about God, Jesus is the full radiance of that glory. The prophets paled in comparison to how God has now spoken because Jesus is God Himself. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And that is a claim that no prophet could have ever made. But Jesus is the supreme form of God's communication to man because Jesus is Himself God and He contains all the glory that is God. And so God has given us something far greater than the prophets. In in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. We now have the supreme form of God's communication to man, Jesus Himself. Now that might lead you to one last question. You asking it? Are you thinking it? All right, Pastor Jeff, that's great. Jesus came. But then He ascended. And yes, He's here and He's present and He's in my heart. And, and, and He said that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. But in some way, he, he did ascend into heaven. And how can we partake and enjoy this glorious revelation of God to man since Jesus is no longer physically with us? At least not yet. You mind going there a little bit? Mine does. And the answer to that is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where the writer tells us this, verses 3 in particular. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. This was the role of the apostles and the prophets who gave us the writings of the New Testament. Because Jesus went away and he says, I'm going to send you to do something even greater. And they attested to the things that they had heard directly from Jesus, the miracles that they had watched Jesus perform. And they continued the work that Jesus left for them. And so God in His glorious wisdom in the Old Testament, He didn't just let the prophets speak to the fathers. He saw to it that their words were written down. That their words were passed on to us in the Old Testament. And God in His glorious wisdom has also seen fit that the words and the work of Christ were written down and passed to us in the New Testament so that we would know what He said, what He did, and what He passed on to the apostles as they founded the church. You know, I, I love this time of year. I, I love Christmas time as we celebrate the first coming of our Lord and as we look forward to His second coming. Because of God's heart for the world, God sent His Son for the world, and one of the most glorious works that He has accomplished in His Son is that He has spoken. And and then He made sure that we clearly knew His words and His works through the work of the prophets and the apostles as they wrote down these words so that today I can still know Jesus and look forward to Him and have a relationship with Him now. And we have to understand that Jesus is the definitive and most glorious revelation of God's character. Jesus is the definitive and most glorious revelation of God's message to me. And when I asked the question, wouldn't it be grand if God would speak today? I need to look no further than Christ and the words about Him that have been attested by the apostles and the prophets because Jesus Himself is the definitive and most glorious Word given to us by our God. 
I don't need to expect some new revelation or some special words from God because He's already spoken supremely in His Word. And in the, word, in the words of 2 Peter 1.3, it says His divine Word His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so having been given a specific message from God, I have to ask myself, how much do I take advantage of that? Am I spending time getting to know Him? Am I developing this relationship with Him? Am Am I taking advantage of this glorious opportunity to know Him, to walk with Him, to have a relationship with Him as He changes my life through this living book. His words to man. His account of Jesus. And having a relationship with Jesus. God has spoken. And we have the words of life. Might we take full advantage of that as we know Him, as we read about Him as we walk with Him and as we share God's heart to a world that is in desperate need for that same life and light. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've given us Your Word. We thank You for the living Word, Jesus Christ, who died in our place, who came and walked among us, who showed us who You are, the Father. We thank You for His sacrifice on the cross. We thank You that He had the power and raised Himself from the dead. We thank You that He ascended and He conquered. He sits today at Your right hand making intercession for us. We thank You that He's preparing a place for us and we look forward with anticipation to that day in which He will come again. And even as we celebrate His first coming and His birth, we celebrate and we remember that He is coming again soon. And we look forward with great anticipation to these things to come. We live in the last days, Lord. And so I pray, my prayer for my friends here is that we would know You, that we would walk with You, that we would be people who would pay attention to the Word that You've given to us. That we would know that we need to look no further to understand Your will than the words that are in this book. And that as we prayerfully interact with You, as we we walk in obedience to You, that You fill us with Your Spirit. And You lead us and You guide us. You change our lives and You change the world around us. And so might this Christmas season, might we be thankful for the Word that You've given to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.